Welcome to the Empowered to Connect podcast, where we come together to discuss a healing-centered approach to engagement and well-being for ourselves, our families, and our communities. I'm J.D. Wilson, and I am your host. And today on the show, we do uh, another deep dive into um, an issue that it just it is widespread, uh, especially amongst families with kids who have endured any kind of early adversity, stress, or trauma in life. And that is, um, how do I handle manipulation and control? Um, the, the late, great Dr. Karen Purvis has an incredible video on this on our YouTube channel. And so we are going to uh, watch this. And you'll, so if you're, if you're listening via audio, you will hear the audio of um, her teaching on this. It's about a seven minute chunk of a video where she lays out some big overview principles. Um, and then we are going to take that and Tana, Becca, and I will do a deep dive into um, some very practical extractions and steps um, for what that looks like as you parent in this situation. Um, I think it's an incredibly helpful, practical episode. And I think I've said this every week recently, and I do mean it. <laughs> there have been um, just some things, some, some instances where I have uh, really needed um, these reminders recently in our home. So I've been very thankful for Dr. Purvis and um, her legacy living on, as well as these conversations that we're having. So I um, hope that is practical for you. And before we get to the episode, uh, we are so excited to share with you guys some big news. Um, as you know, if you're a regular listener, we empower facilitators to take our parenting course, Cultivate Connection, to their local communities. We are so grateful and so proud of the work our facilitators are doing to provide life-on-life -life support for parents in their local communities. Over the years, uh, many of you have reached out asking for a course online, especially those of you who do not have a facilitator near you. So first, as a reminder, we've currently got an opportunity to sign up to become a Cultivate Connect Cultivate Connection Facilitator. Um, so check our website for those details if you are wanting to help lead that charge in your community to become part of our growing network. Um, applications are due soon and we would love to consider your application. But if you're just wanting to take this class and for whatever reason, the, the opportunities available have not worked out for you, we are offering Cultivate Connection online for the first time ever. Uh, and you, as an ETC podcast listener, get 20% off of that course with the code ETCPOD-23. So that's all caps, ETC. POD-23. Sign up for our online course today. And if the dates and times line up with your schedule, that is awesome. This class will not, uh, will be live, not recorded, and it is starting soon. So that is ETCPOD-23 for 20% off of the parenting course. And we would love to see you there. Now, without any further ado, here we are, Tana, Becca, myself, with the late, great Karen Purvis and Michael Monroe. Well, Satana and Becca and I are back today and we wanted to tackle another topic that is kind of a hot button issue within parenting. Um, and, and specifically, if you are parenting kids who have had any type of uh, challenges, early stress, adversity in life, um, who, who have endured trauma, um, one of these kind of misunderstood behaviors that gets labeled as bad all the time um, is manipulation and control. And um, if you if you are to venture to our YouTube channel, um, our most watched video ever, and guys, dramatically more watched than anything else, like six yeah. times more than anything else, is Dr. Karen Purvis talking about how do I handle manipulation and control? And so uh, we thought, you know, a few weeks ago, we walked through this with how do I handle lying and Dr. Purvis's video on that. And, and so we wanted to do this again, um, but with 
this particular topic because it does tend to be such a difficult thing as a parent to navigate. And um, for the most well-meaning parents of whom I would consider myself one, I'm I'm a well-meaning parent, like I love my kids and I want to love them well. Um, this particular behavior has a, has a tendency to, uh, to just push the panic button in me. And so, um, so anyways, we're going to watch through this video and, uh, listen to Dr. Purvis's thoughts on the topic, and then we'll jump into it as well. Becky Aritana, any thoughts that you want to share before we watch this? You just want to jump into it. I think I'm ready to jump in. I appreciated. Yeah. I appreciated what you said. Well-meaning. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, all right, let's do it. In just a moment, we'll do it. Here we go. Great tools for children who didn't have a voice are manipulation and control. Now, all children explore manipulation, even in the most loving homes. All children explore control in even the most loving homes. Again, this is a normal developmental Exploration for the child from the hard place. Manipulation may have become the way they believe they survived. Control may be what they believe stood between them and death. Now, when we look at a child with these issues, obviously those issues are not okay. But again, I don't want to overreact. I don't want to label my child a controller or a manipulator. I want to stand back from the behavior and realize it has a function. So if a child is saying something to me, for example, they want something, but they're using a manipulative round to get there. I will say, well, stop, sweetie. Now I'm I'm going to be matching. I'm going to be looking into their eyes and I'm going to say, now, well, stop. I want to meet your need, but I need honest words, not this little roundabout Okay, so give me honest words. Let me see what we can do. Let's work it out together. And very often I will find a child say, well, I really want X. Now, if it's in my power at that moment, I'm going to say yes, because I want my child to know they don't have to use tricks to be heard by me. Now, I can't always say yes, obviously. I shouldn't always say yes, but I can say it a lot more often than I do. So, We know from child development that there's a continuum of two poles that predict the best development long-term, predictability and control. So some of our children have come from very unpredictable environments. Some of them have come from very controlling environments. But appropriate levels of predictability and control will help our children let go of the need to control the world. We have mothers who come to us saying, my child tells me what shoes to wear in the morning. You know, say, so I say to that child, you know what? It's not okay for you to tell mommy what to wear, but let's go to your room and choose what you wear tomorrow. So I'm going to take away control of the world by giving my child appropriate control. Every one of our children must have appropriate control in their environment, and they must be able to predict what's going to happen. So I can take away these tools predict of by giving, I can take away manipulation and control by giving my child appropriate levels of predictability and control in their environment. I can become their partner 
again, it's very important to come alongside of the child. It's not like, aha, gotcha, being bad. But rather, sweetie, let's work on this together. That's not okay. I'm listening to you. Tell me what you need. So one of the primary mistakes that parents make about this is thinking, my child is so controlling, I'm going to take away control of everything. And see, they're going to learn to make good choices by making small choices. I remember one darling little girl we worked with who had to be in control of everything. And she was just a tiny little bitty snippet of a thing. She was like five years old. But her mother would, was there in, and I was there with her in the home. And her mother said, sweetie, we're going to have a peanut butter sandwich for lunch. Come onto the table. And she said, no, no, I have a better idea. Let's have a peanut butter sandwich for lunch. The little thing just had to feel like she was in control. And so we got down at her height and we looked her in the eye and said, no, mama already decided on the sandwich, but you could decide between these three fruits for our dessert. What do you choose? So see, I'm going to let a child have some control. I'm sharing power. They're going to practice making choices in a controlled environment so that they don't have to take over the world. I have had a child come, for example, to our camp who was hungry many, many times. He would come into the camp door every morning asking exactly what we would have to eat all day long. And I went through what we would have for the morning snack and what we would have for the noon snack and what we would have all day long. And I did that with him for a number of days, more than a week, every day. I went through. And one morning he came in and I said, sweetheart, today... Would you go with me and look in the kitchen and let me show you? We have so very much food. And I promise you, you're never going to be hungry here. But just for today, would you trust Miss Karen? I'm going to meet every hunger need you have. And you just get to be a little boy today. So for that little period of time, that little boy could practice trusting me just that long, just a few hours, that there was plenty to eat. Our children learn to make good choices as they trust that they have a voice and as they trust that we see what they need. And in that environment, they will give up control and manipulation in terms of relationship. Manipulation and control are issues that really challenge a lot of parents. I know they do me and my wife. When my kids are exhibiting manipulative and controlling behaviors, I often take that as a personal offense. I take it as a challenge to my authority. I take it as a challenge to my role as, as dad. And, and, and while manipulation and control are, are not okay when they're exhibited by our kids, I can't allow all of the emotions and the reactions that I feel to get in the way of, of looking deeper, be up below the surface of that manipulation and control to see what's really going on. What is it that my kids are trying to tell me? What is it that they really need? The truth is that manipulation and control by our kids is often really just their way of inappropriately expressing a need. And if I can get past the personal affront and the personal offense that 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 manipulation and control uh, represents for me and get to the heart of that need, help them understand that I'm here to meet that need, to help them meet that need, and more importantly, to help them appropriately express that need, then oftentimes what we can do is we can deal with the manipulation and control, not by coming down heavy and hard on it, but rather becoming more connected so that we can help our kids understand that we're their advocate, we're their coach, and we can help them both identify, articulate, and meet the deep needs that they have.
All right. Um, once again, it is just great to hear um, from Dr. Purvis and from Michael. Um, I, I mean, I just, we could probably just start right now and talk for the next two hours about what we just heard. <laughs> oh, I know we took several notes each. And so, um, Tana, maybe out of the gate, why don't you um, start and, and we'll just start walking through what we just heard. You know, at the very beginning of the video, Dr. Purvis sort of took the conversation. I think she, I appreciated the on-ramp because um, what she was basically saying um, is that all kids have a developmentally appropriate, like, pull towards figuring out how they assert their control over their environment. That's a, that's a very developmentally appropriate thing to do. In fact, one of our kiddos right now that will go unnamed has this funny little thing that's happening and they're super playful and gregarious, like very um, full of energy and it's so done playfully, but they, they're one of the sayings they have right now is, oh man, I thought I could get away with that. And it's like, it, it's usually silly stuff. Like it's not like something they're really trying to get away with. It might be like, Hey, can I have a Coke for breakfast? And I'll be like, Oh man, I thought I could get away with that. Like, so it's like a thing they're doing right now. They're 10. But even that is like, oh man, I thought I could like assert my desire and my control right now in this situation. So we're handling that playfully. But but the thing Dr. Purvis said is she wanted us to think about, well, what about kiddos who've experienced adversity and trauma and hardship? And JD, you said it at the beginning, like we we there is something else that happens. And so all children have a developmentally appropriate way they are navigating the world through trying to control situations and circumstances. I do, we do, people do, kids do. But then there is something additional going on with kiddos who have had hard experiences happen in their life, places they couldn't assert control in order to keep them safe. So that's when she said, like, they may think they need to control the situation to live. And that may sound um, dramatic to us, but um, I think as we navigate this conversation, I would love for you that are listening to think about maybe your kiddos that have, who haven't really had a very many hard things happen in their life and their circumstances and situations have been fairly safe. This still applies to them. Then what about the kiddos that have not had the benefit of felt safety and the benefit of physical and mental and emotional safety? Something has changed in their brain wiring for understandable reasons that may be amping up their need to control their environment. And all these strategies work for both. So that's my initial thought. To frame it, it's all babies, all kids, but let's really maybe take this conversation to think about the kids who might be exhibiting controlling and manipulative behavior in an adaptive way for a certain kind of reason. Becca? Um, I think too, just thinking about that word manipulation, it has such a connotation of like on purpose. And I think Dr. Purvis reminds us that as humans, number one, we all do things and we all kind of experiment and push boundaries and see what's going to work for us to get our needs met. And then she talked about how that can be even more heightened. But I think um, 
especially when kids get a little bit older, it can feel so personal because it feels like you think we talked about this a little bit in our last episode, but you just think you think I'm dumb. Like you think I don't see what you're doing. And so we begin to label a lot of kids behavior, especially manipulative behavior as on purpose. And I'll think, you know, the one that comes to mind for me that happens a lot is you're just crying to get what you want. You're manipulating me. You're trying to manipulate my emotions. And I think Dr. Purvis really pushes and encourages us to look beyond that moment and see like, what is the actual need? So maybe like what they're crying about is going to reveal a need for, you know, maybe connection or whatever, or maybe it's also just revealing a need for predictability and control. Like she said, those are two really big needs that, that kids have. So I just think, man, manipulation is one of those ones that just, you've got to make that hard shift from willful disobedient um, on purpose. And so when she was talking, I was thinking about that just right out the gate. Michael summarized it. He said, you need to get to the heart of the need, like the heart behind what's going on behind that behavior. I don't know if y'all do this. I tend to attribute like uh, peer level contextual knowledge to our kids. So Mm. when there's something, you know, if there's a manipulation perceived, I will perceive that as this kid knows what they're like. Yeah. It might be a seven-year-old kid who is, you know, who is, who is doing this not out of a 39-year-old's, you know, life knowledge and societal information, right? So like, that's, that's, that's always a hard thing for me to overcome is to remember sometimes the things that are being said are being said like out of a true feeling without a knowledge of, of what the contextual meaning is, right? And so I know the contextual meaning, so I'm like this kid, but it is hard. And, and, and generally when, when we can get out of fighting that mm-hmm. layer and, and go back into the deeper layers, which is difficult. Um, it is there that we find the empathy, right? When you start to see the deep need that's being expressed and you can see the pain that it takes to express it in that way. It's that that's what, that's where the, the sweet spot is, but it is very hard to get there sometimes. Yeah. I, I appreciate that JD. That made me think of like, that idea of assigning intent. Yeah. Because it's it's so normal for us to, and Becca, you said it like they're crying to, you know, get my, you know, attention or or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, I think maybe my my next question is, well, what if they are? Mm-hmm. Okay. Like what if what if that they are doing it that way? Mm-hmm. So in our world of like trauma-informed healing-centered engagement, we talk a lot about this idea of like adaptive strategies. Sometimes they're called maladaptive. But I appreciate this idea of like, well, they aren't necessarily maladaptive because they were they were needed in certain moments to actually get their needs met. Mm-hmm. So like what if a kiddo has learned that behavior as a skill? to be cared for or get the attention they need or to use their voice or to do whatever, like then it was adaptive. Now they may be in a new situation or they've grown up or they're in a situation where they don't need to do it that way anymore. That's why we would sometimes call it maladaptive. But what if we think about, ah, okay, so what if they are quote unquote, manipulating you? What if they are trying to control you? Dr. Purvis, she's the example of the little girl that's like, I have a really good idea. Let's have peanut butter and jelly, you know? Mm-hmm. And that sweet baby is actually trying to manipulate the situation. 
Why? Or control it. Why? Mm -hmm. Oh, because she needs to. Why? Oh, because she's had a million transitions in her little life. Maybe some difficult things have happened to her that she didn't have control over. And her brain has said, control or die. Control or you're in pain. So why does she need to control? Okay, then we have this insight. We're working, as Michael said, to get to the heart of the matter. Then we've got some places to go. So it's that, I think we talk about this a lot, but I think about the idea of like honoring their adaptive strategy. Like what if we could like flip the whole script on the situation? This is so hard to do. I'm going to say this like this is easy. (laughs) What if you have a kiddo that is like really exhibiting some controlling behavior? What if instead of this sort of negative way of viewing that we could say what a strong kid who is like doing their very best that is showing up with tenacity and grit and fight and capability and they're bright and they're like showing up in order to get this situation to serve them like what if we try not to take it personal and we honor like what they're up to that's a bright kid like I have this one girlfriend that man, her little pumpkin is like real good at this moment. And sometimes I'm just like, I know it's hard as mom, but like, can we delight in that little dude's like spunky behavior, like what he's up to there? Because then we can like get curious about how to replace it mm-hmm. with something else. And and I know we can get into the nitty gritty of like some of the what or the how, but I think we just have to like flip the whole script here. Yeah. Well, we're not erasing those skills. You're learning to teach them to contextualize them, right? Like that, that toughness, that leadership, that ability to take command is still an extremely valuable set of skills. It just needs to be taught how to be used in proper context, you know, and, and that, that context had not previously been in submission to somebody else. Right. So like you're just kind of learning how to like, when there is trust that can be there, you don't have to use that control in that setting. And at some point in life, there will be a need to use that leadership and to use that ability to to have confidence in your decision-making. And so that, I mean, that was shared to me. I remember hearing that years ago and it has helped me to remember that and say, uh, to shake my head or pound against the wall and be like, I hate it right now, (laughs) but we're getting to shape it and shift it so that it'll be a massive blessing to the world one day. Um, and, and then we think about world leaders and those who have had monumental impacts. And a, a lot of times there was struggle and strife early on in life that helped to shape and mold some of those skills. And so, um, so why, why don't we talk about some of that now, some of the, the strategies and the, and the supports that we can give in these situations? Yeah, I think the way we can frame it and we can talk about some of the logistics. I want to point out what Dr. Purvis said, because this is the heart of like probably all of the ideas we're going to share. And it's that every child needs an appropriate amount of control mm-hmm. and an appropriate level of predictability. So the, the solution, if you will, to manipulation and control is shared power or appropriate control and predictability because it's that lack of predictability or them not having, they've either been 
in situations, maybe even in your parenting, where there was hyper control or there was no control uh, that was being um, demonstrated by the parent. So we can be overly controlling parents and give our children no ability to control anything. They're going to fight for control as a human should. Or there was no structure and there was no boundary and they are absolutely in control. So they've learned that that's what's needed. So they will continue to assert control. So when they are in context where there's too much control or a a control void, they control. Mm -hmm. Or an environment where there's everything is scheduled and there's no flexibility. Maybe they feel stifled. So too much predictability or too rigid, too much rigidity, if you will. They might be pushing up against that if that's their personality. Or if they've been in situations where things were very unpredictable. Like this can just be like, I mean, I don't know about y'all, but I think about this a lot with sometimes in the summertime, my kids are not their best sometimes in the summer because there's just like no general predictability to their day. So predictability actually settles kids down. Or what about a scenario where there was a lack of predictability and it was a harmful environment? They were actually being abused and it was that abuse was unpredictable in its rhythm. Mm -hmm. Or they had to go through painful transitions from family to a different family or from, you know, one place to another. And it was a life transition that they were not in control of and it was unpredictable. I can think about kiddos that have had a lot of medical things happen to them. And when you have acute medical scenarios that happen, those are unpredictable. Like what level of predictability has life given them? And then how might they be, how might their behavior or their adaptive strategies be responding to inappropriate control and a lack of predictability? And that cannot be overstated. Those things are at play in some shape or form, in some formula. And so the replacement is appropriate shared control and predictability. And I'm I'm sure y'all got some good thoughts on that. Oh, I just think it's so helpful because as adults, it's like you have to put yourself on the map. Am I giving predictability? Like in this situation, am I providing a predictable or stable or consistent environment? And some of us, the answer is like, yeah. Everything is super predictable. Great. Are you giving enough options for the kid to exercise their own decision-making? And so I think that, you know, sometimes we think about, we talk about it lots of different ways. Talk about balancing nurture and structure. We talk about um, this idea of sharing power. And so I think you've given us a great framework, Tana, to think about ourselves. And then whichever way you lean, you're going to need some strategies that help move you closer. So if you are more of like a fly by the seat of your pants, every day is an adventure and you're noticing that your kids are inappropriately. I think about the story Dr. Purvis said about, mom, you're going to wear these shoes today. Like that could have been happening because it might have been a situation where there was no rule. Like there's no rules. There's no structure. There's no anything. So if you're finding yourself in that situation, there's so many ways to increase predictability and they don't have to be mean or hurtful. It can be 
we're going to have a general schedule of our day. And maybe we're not like hour by hour, minute by minute people, but we're going to talk about at breakfast. Hey guys, after school, remember we've got soccer practice. Then when we come back from that, we're going to do some rest time and then we're going to get ready for dinner. Like just talking through an order can be super helpful. Um, Let me me say something. I'm going to give you a quick example because I know you've got another idea. We are at day three here in like real life (laughs) in um, Memphis on like an ice day. Yep. So kids are home from school. I'm working from home. You know, the predictability of a normal school schedule is not there. Day one was all fun and games. You know, everything was going great. I could tell yesterday, ooh, like we're, you know, the wheels are on the bus, but we are eating I mean, it's wobbling. It's feeling wobbly over here at the Honinger house. I mean, y'all, I, I didn't have some plan. I had a, my plan yesterday was I had to work. Yeah. I have a plan for the children. Yeah. I pulled out a, a random scrap of paper and literally jotted down a, a very random structure for the day. Hey, we're going to do this for 30 minutes. We're going to do this for 30 minutes. We're going to have the, the, these are some choices for your time. And it totally switched the in, entire environment of how the morning was going. Yeah. One of my kids carried that piece of paper around for the next five hours with two colored check marks and checked it off when they did it and when their sibling did it. Like it was a teeny tiny accessible on this. I mean, I was like, oh, 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 hey guys, let's write out what we're going to do for the next four hours while mom works. Like it was all we needed. So I want to get back to that. But I want us to think about like, this is not always rocket science. This can be like super attainable, quick little bitty adjustments to like providing a little structure and predictability. You should have texted me. I can, I can attest. We were on a zoom meeting and Tana said, I just need a minute. And I'm not (laughs) kidding. She probably, it was probably like two to three minutes. So this was not like an hour long planning. Like this was, hang on, Becca, I'll be right back. But I need a minute. I think I went and filled up my coffee cup and came back. And by the time I was back, I think I said, I think my kids need some parenting. I was like, I'll be back. I need to go parent. Just a minute. Hang tight. You did. Yeah. Anyway, I think that's, Yeah. And I think snow days are a great example. Lots of families have predictability, but it is those times when like something pops up or I love that you mentioned summer. Some of my really good friends, you know, we were, they were talking to me last summer and it was like, man, we're just having so much trouble. And we just talked it out a little bit and we all kind of came to the conclusion, like maybe it's because like it's summer, like there's been no, there's been no structure. There's been no predictability. And then I think, so increase that as it makes sense for your family, at the very minimum, give them a heads up of what's to come and what the expectations are. Um, Rather than waiting, a lot of times we have in our head, well, obviously after they finish this video game, it's going to be time to clean up. I mean, they can see that the house is dirty. Well, you, as JD said, have the adult contextual information, but you probably need to give them that heads up. Hey guys, when we're done with this, we're going to spend about 10 minutes and we're going to tidy up. Like giving heads ups is just, an easy way to increase that predictability. I think the flip side of this coin is you've got some adults, you know, who, who want to control every aspect of a kid's day. And for those adults, letting go of a little bit of control, sharing power for them looks like, okay, do I really have to pick what they wear to school and the grocery store? And and do I have to pick exactly what they eat and what color plate they get? Or are there ways for me to increase this kiddo's sense of control? I know these examples might sound little kiddish. So for an older kid, 
Are you able to negotiate with them? Um, okay, you have to get these things done today, but let's talk about the order. Like, I think it would make sense to go ahead and clean your room because then you have fun the rest of the day, but let's negotiate that. What do you want to come up with? What do you want to propose? Tana, I've never heard anyone teach about negotiating with kids as well as you can. So I wonder if for a second we could talk about that because I think it's a kind of counterintuitive strategy that we love here at ETC to talk about and think about. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I wonder maybe the reason you like me talking about it so much is because it was like one of my major, this, this is like something I've really had to figure out because I like control. Like I am a controlling person for Enneagrammers. I'm an A, like I like efficiency and smart thinking and like get stuff done quick and like, let's make a good plan. And like, I, those are good things that feel very comfortable for me. And so I was um, so we started our parenting off as everyone does. Like we parent how we are. Mm-hmm. Like we show up to parenting with our, with ourselves. Okay. And we're going to parent ourselves through like, that's how it's going to happen. And we have to be really aware of how that, how we ourselves are impacting our children. And sometimes our self naturally is going to bless the socks off of our babies. And sometimes ourself, the way we are, is not at all going to be what our kids need. So it is about moderating and changing the way you're interacting and your mindset maybe with some stuff. So I can think about when we first, I mean, it was Dr. Purvis that was our first thought when we started thinking about this video, probably, because it's however many years old. I'm sure I heard it. And I was like, whoa, my goodness. I'll say, whoa, Nellie, because that's what Dr. Purvis used to say. (laughs) Whoa, Nellie, Tana. Things are not going great at the Audigar house. So we started simply. Our kids were kind of on the younger side. And we started giving them the freedom to ask for a compromise. And if kids are little, you can say deal. So think. let's talk about control. And Becca has said it a couple of times, but let's highlight it's sharing power and giving voice. So if you have an idea of how something should go, which I do most often, then children need the ability to have a different opinion, FYI, than you. And their opinion's probably okay many times. So she talked about, she said, um, be ready to sort of say yes. So our little phrase here at Empowered to Connect is say yes when you can and no when you need to. And she said, sometimes you're going to need to say no. Okay, so that's the appropriate amount. So how this worked when we were little, I mean, when the kids were little, was just teaching them that if I said something as a definitive, then if they could, they could teach, we taught them to come respectfully and ask for a compromise. So it would be something like, um, hey guys, it's uh, five more minutes till bed. And then you hear the whining and the fussing and the complaining or the grunting or the eye rolling or something gets thrown or they start crying. And you're like, well, that's a behavior that what are they trying to do right there? Well, they're probably expressing disappointment and they're frustrated. They don't want to go to bed. They might, they might do something to try to even erupt the household as to avoid bedtime. So you want to replace that behavior with something else. And the thing you replace it with is good words. And Dr. Purvis said that. So you need to teach them how to say, well, Bobby, I can see that bedtime is not making you happy. The thought of bedtime is not making you happy. I'm guessing you had a different idea. Would you like to ask for a compromise on how we get to bed? Mom, can I have, I mean, this happened to me two nights ago. Can I please finish this round on, you know, the Nintendo Switch? They were doing some boss battle 
on Pokemon and they needed to finish <laughs> boss battle. How dare I say five minutes, boss battles take 15. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, okay, just give me some quick words. Hey mom, can I finish this boss battle? Sure. Like that is not an easy thing to start doing as a family. It will not work right away. It won't. You're yeah. not used to it. Your kids aren't used to it. They don't know the pathway. They don't know that you're, that you can relate with them this way. They don't know that you're willing to give them a little bit of control over how the night goes. So it's not going to go well first, but practice it, practice it, practice it, practice it. So then, you know, mom, can I have 15 minutes to finish boss battle? Sure, buddy, 15 minutes. Okay. What's going to happen when 15 minutes is over? Yeah. I have 20 more. <laughs> Becca, you know, you'd be like, oh, babe, I wish I could give you 20 more. Like it's time for bed. So when you give your kid the freedom to like do compromises and ask for deals, you don't stack them. Like that's the boundary part. Like uh, you make a compromise, you make a deal, you stick to your guns with kindness and control of the situation. But it's like, I think sometimes, and may, maybe not everybody would relate to this. I'm going to just talk about myself, Tana. I was not in the mindset in my young parenting that I am parenting human beings. Mm. I was parenting children. Okay. And I had a mindset about children and I needed to flip my mindset to, Oh, these are human beings that have opinions, needs, thoughts, and ideas. And the earlier we can negotiate them together with respect and kindness and compromise. And I can still be the parent, the better this whole thing's going to go. So it's, it's can sometimes be as much of a flip as like, let your child have an opinion. Let them have an idea and let, if you can, give them the ability to sort of roll that way. So Dr. Purvis, she, she modeled it very quickly. She reminded sweet baby girl that mom had already decided on the sandwich, but she scaffolded her. And maybe Becca, you can talk to us in a minute about this idea of scaffolding because she, she gave us a couple of examples, but she scaffolded her towards a little control of the situation by letting her pick what was coming up next. Guys, it's not rocket science, but if you do not operate this way, it is a really like cataclysmic mental shift, um, major mental shift. Well, I'll I'll throw this out before Becky jumps back in. Like the thing that I always have to remind myself, and you, you mentioned that you're raising human beings, I have to remind myself that at some point, our kids have to be able to do these things on their own in order to survive in the world and to thrive. Um, One of the things that we've seen done when got kids that have a high desire for control is uh, if you are a parent who has a high desire for control and you are trying to match wits with a kid who does, um, there is a list of items that have to get done in a day that is separated out by tasks. And some of them are screen time, like, cause that's just a fun thing to ask for on a weekend. Some of them are, you know, Hey, you got a two o'clock basketball game or whatever. All those things are laid out. And that kid, you know, if stuff is time specific, it goes on that time and schedule right away. Basketball game, we got to be there early. Here's what it takes. And then let the kid build out the day around it. Well, I don't want to do chores, but I'd rather knock them out in the morning. Well, some kids rather do them in the afternoon. And if they'll do it, then does it, really have to be in a time specific manner. Right. But you're giving them the ability to think about what are my preferences? What do I like? How am I going to like this? And then sometimes you're midway through that day and they're like, why did I choose to do? 
but it's why did I choose and not, why are you always making me do this? You know? And so if you can begin to flip that and, and I, we have found that the, uh, reactive kind of, um, Hey, five more minutes. And then we got to do this. If there was not a preface in there, just in our, in our home, that goes way worse than if when they're starting the game, it's like, Hey, I'm not totally sure when we're going to have to cut you off, but just know when we do, here's what we're doing next. So that's, that's on the table. It's coming. You guys can play for a little while and then we'll, we'll give you some warning and just know that after that, we're going to do this. And that helps to give a little bit of, uh, of a break from the anxiety of immediately when it's like, Hey, five more minutes. No. Instead now it's like, ah, can we do 10 more minutes, please? We're almost done with this that kind of thing, like, like you mentioned. And so I love that the, that's revealing in advance, providing predictability, like all of those things. I, I don't think that we can understate how like literally a small shift in that can change like the tone of like the whole night. Sometimes I'll tell my kids something and I'll hear myself say, and I'm like, well, why did you want to make them mad? Yeah. <laughs> like, I, don't know, I was like, if you literally had just delivered that in like a slightly adjusted way, they'd think it was a good idea. Now, why do you hate chaos in your house, JD? Like what? But I mean, yeah, right? like what? Be clear for both of us, these are things that were not genius parenting ideas. First no. try rolled out from us. This is, this is our survival skills, right? Like we, we learned this uh, in, in reverse order after having lots of, meltdowns and come aparts and frustration on the kid and adult side. Uh, there were some tactics that we saw worked. And to be clear, for some of our friends, these tactics do not work in the way that we're, that, that I'm sharing them right now. So this is just yeah, going to take know your you kid. knowing your kids, knowing their personalities, knowing your personalities, and then you're managing an ecosystem in a home with all those things combined. So it's trial and error. You are going to fail some at first. They're will probably be tears at some point early on, but it's, it's getting back up. It's trying again. And it's trying these different mechanisms until you figure out what your kids need and what you need in order to thrive in that, in that setting. So one thought on that. And then I, I do want Becca to talk to us about scaffolding specifically, because I think it's important. JD, when you were talking about like that, giving them the little heads up, mm-hmm. I mean, really think about how are you delivering your information or your predictability to your children, right? And this is me. Like, what if, just just hang with me for a second. What if it was like after dinner, um, what I know needs to happen is we need to finish a math sheet. We need to like clear the table and then we get to watch America's Funniest Home Videos. Okay, like if I, and what if I know that's the, what's happening? How I say that and deliver that information, like literally, like, because our bodies and brains react to others, it sets the tone. Yep. If I say, hey, guys, listen, when we get done with dinner, you're going to have to do your homework, clear the dishes, and then we can watch that movie. Like, Then maybe or, we'll watch it if you guys get your stuff done. Right? Or I say, okay, after dinner, here's what's going to happen. We're going to get our math sheets knocked out, and we need to get the dishes done, and then we're going to also get to watch America's Funniest Home Videos. What order do y'all want to do that in? Like that is, that's like inviting collaboration and cooperation and, and curiosity and connectedness and together. One is like, this is what y'all are going to do. This is what's going to happen. And y'all are going to have to knock it out. Do you hear me? Or, Hey guys, this is what's up for the night. Let's work this out. Like, which one would you rather have? 
one hundred percent the second one. For, for those of you who are panicking, going, well, hold on now, we've got to do this and this. Like, you don't have to give all of it as choice. You can say, hey, guys, we are going to watch the movie last, and we're doing that because that's our kind of our last thing of the night. Yep. The other three things we can, if we need to do math before clearing the table, we can't, you know, and you can kind of give those help, let work that out together, but you don't have to make variable the things that, that can't be variable, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, so many great things. One thing I just want to say is like, when kids are disappointed, they're going to express it. And so even for those of us that are giving tons of, you know, choices and compromises, when you've got to set the boundary, because no, we really like, we have to do this because it's due tomorrow. Um, Don't feel like, don't throw the whole strategy out the window because your kiddo has a meltdown or cries or is upset. Right. Like it's just, I, I think that that's, that can't be overstated when we're talking about control and manipulation. Setting boundaries is tough, but these strategies can help to minimize that disappointment. It can help that kid feel like they've got a sense of autonomy. Like I get to make some decisions here. And Dr. Purvis said it, Tana and JD both said it in developmentally appropriate ways. So we just want to sprinkle it in. And we've seen over time, it really does have like an overall benefit to how that kiddo negotiates their needs and navigates life and and those kind of things. Something JD touched on is like, you may be hearing this strategy and be like, well, that's not going to work for my, my oldest, or that's not going to work for my youngest, or that's not going to work. And so there is an idea that we want to talk about called scaffolding. Um, it's a word that was kind of originally thought about in the psychology and education world. And it's basically this idea that when you are trying to help a kid develop a new skill. So an example that comes right to mind is when a kid's learning to read, we don't just like grab our three-year-old and open, <laughs> open a chapter book and start reading. Like, we don't just like expect them to go from, they can't read to here you go, kid, it's time to read. Like we One don't piece. just throw, yeah. yeah, we don't just throw a book in front of them. No, we break that skill down into these little bite-sized chunks. So the first thing we want to do is we just want them to get familiar with letter sounds. And we do that through songs and through games and through, you know, rehearsing it and poems and all that kind of stuff. Over time, we then start to blend those sounds together and we teach them that it's connected to something on paper. And so they're learning, oh, this letter sound goes with this letter and they're learning those things. And then they're learning how to do that with help from us. And then over time, they can start to sound out words. And even still, there's a step where like you can't read all the words because some things don't sound how they're spelled. So there's another layer of like now we're teaching you some sight words that are spelled differently than how they sound. And so all that together comes together. And your kiddo is able to learn how to read over time. So when we come to these behavioral skills, like go clean your room, um, it can feel like our kid is manipulating or controlling the situation or just flat out, I'm not going to do it, or I'm going to do it in a way that I know is not okay with you, or I'm going to do it, but I'm going to make everyone in the house miserable while I do it. Um, And that's a big skill, like having the self-control to be able to like look at something messy and just organize, okay, this has to go here and that has to go there. That's a skill. Having the ability to regulate the disappointment that they feel that they can't keep playing their game. That's a skill by itself. Being able to even um, remember where stuff goes, that's a skill. And so scaffolding is, okay, let's pause. What are some things that could be going better in my house? How can I chunk that up? What's the letter sounds here? Like I'm using that as an analogy. What's the, like, how do we help them learn to read? How do we help them learn to 
clean their room? How do we help them learn to manage conflict? So we break it down into these little pieces and then practice that skill by itself. So if your kiddo, it has a great memory, they remember where everything goes, but they really struggle with disappointment. Think about ways to practice handling disappointment. Think about narrating that, modeling it. Ah, oh, I feel really disappointed because it is the third snow day in a row and I am cooped up in this house. Talk right. about it. Talk about your own feelings. Model that for them. Um, there's ton, you know, I, I, there's too many examples to name, which is why I love that Dr. Purvis kind of framed this whole conversation around the idea that kids need predictability and they need to have a little bit of control. So again, with scaffolding, like just think about those things you want them to do. Think about you and your personality. Think about them and their personality and then just find ways to kind of slowly walk towards that rather than grabbing Moby Dick and putting in for every three-year-old and saying, okay, kid, time to read. Like rather than just jumping straight into the big skill. Yeah, I think that's really good. Becca, when you talk about scaffolding, I mean, again, Dr. Purvis showed it to us. She talked about the camp when when she had a little guy at camp that came in and needed to know everything they were eating that day. And asked for like a play-by-play on what was happening for food. And she said she did that for him for a couple of days. And then a few days in, I don't know if you caught it, but she said, can you trust me today that we have all the food that you need to stay full? And so what she did right there was provided the needed amount of support for that little guy to feel safe on day one. And then she provided the needed amount of support for him to feel safe on day two. And then on day three, she's probably thinking, maybe he can trust me a little bit more here because we've provided predictability and routine around food for two days. So maybe there's a little trust in the bank and I can ask a little more of him today. I can ask him and we can test the waters on, is he able now to trust and to rest in the fact that we are in control of the food and he's safe when it comes to food. So I think that what I love about that is that's that like deep scaffolding work that how you are helping a child who maybe has experienced like that baby probably had like some food scarcity like, I don't, I don't know what his history would have been, but if he's coming in maybe hyper fixated on food, then to just say from day one, we got it, buddy, you're going to eat. You're good. Trust me. We've got food. Don't worry about it. You have actually provided no felt safety and probably driven his anxiety all week, which is going to come out in other ways. So if he cannot control and be at rest on food, He might not be the most well-behaved when it's craft time and recess time. And his behavior is going to exhibit his his, um, fear and anxiety. She set him up to succeed Uh by sharing control and power simply by going over the menu. Like, that's how you scaffold a child's to not need to control, to not need to manipulate. Can I highlight something there, Tom? Yeah. Man, ah, oh, it's just hitting me. How many times as adults, we have all the context, like JD said, and we just want so badly to tell that kid, you're going to trust me. Like, 
it's that's so silly. Like we just have this such such a dismissive tone. And that's one example, but man, like they're just popping into my brain. So many examples of times when we get frustrated with kids and we want them to like just trust us. Mm-hmm. And just by giving that felt like overdoing it. You know, she was like, I had to tell them every single afternoon snack and every single morning snack. And when she's describing it, you know, I can hear people in the background going, Dr. Purvis, you did not really sit and tell him that every single day for the entire camp. Did you like what a time investment? And the answer is like, yes and no, she did it for some days, which might've felt excessive to some of the adults that were looking on, but it's what that kid needed. And then she slowly backed him off before asking him to trust her. Man, that's just like a profound example. And I'm just thinking, man, how many times do we just ask kids, I'm in control, just trust me, without building that foundation for them to stand on? And let's just play out what would have happened had she strong-armed from the beginning, right? Like one weekend, how's it going? So you're sending him home because he is losing it on the counselors every day. They're, he's driving them crazy, asking them every two seconds. Then he's flipping out when he does get hungry. He doesn't know if it's coming and nobody will tell him for sure. And so he's throwing stuff, hitting people, whatever. And guys, we've been, I mean, we don't, we're not, not going to share specific situations, but Becca and I, I can remember definitively like being at an, in a school setting when we weren't together and there being kids, we knew we're not getting adequate amounts of food um, for whatever reason. And we developed a secret, sorry for anyone in leadership who's listening to this, a secret <laughs> stash, like a secret grocery store in our supply closet. And, and we just kind of knew when those kids come in, if you could see they're coming in on, on level eight out of 10, hey, I tell you what, come over here real quick. Let's let's take care of this. And we had, you know, different nutritional elements that we could get to those kids because when those needs are met fundamentally, like that is there. Now, that was not an everyday thing. Eventually it got to where kids would come and ask for it or they would, they would let us know and we would just go get it. So that the, if we remember that like strong arming the situation and, and treating it the way that you're you, you, maybe in your most base instincts tell you to do it, which is, Hey, you are fine. I, do you think I'm not going to give you food? Like, what do you think this is? Again, putting an adult context into a kid world, like you're going to be losing your mind in five to six days. And if you take that mentality with every kid ever, you've quit the job in a year or two, right? Whereas you learn this subtle shift in building trust in the beginning. And all of a sudden now you not only have this kid thriving at the camp, but then you are more confident than ever with other kids. You can find other solutions that you need to. And, and then you're, you're having situations where real change is getting to happen because you are meeting the needs of kids and teaching them how to negotiate those needs. Well, JD, you just said real change. And that is key because when you've got scenarios like we can, you know, we can use this one. We can, Becca's probably got a million others we could talk about too, but like scenarios where, if we could come in and provide a little structure, a little support, some scaffolded, like emotional support and investment, like being a, a, a child who has had a high level of need of, for control and manipulation because of their past, being at rest and trusting you does not come easy or fast. That's right. It takes time and repetition, but it does come. It mm-hmm. like it will come, but you have to stay committed. 
to providing that predictability and and routine and shared power in order to help them find that place when he could say, okay, I trust you. And now I'm going to like freely go play. Yeah, It's not causing the anxiety and stress still to be present in his body or in his mind. So it's not something that happens quickly. And we need to figure out how to like be patient with that. My other thought, like those, some of the behaviors that are sometimes the most difficult in families that cause parents the biggest distress. I'm thinking about things like, you know, eating food that you're not supposed to eat or overeating at night, or maybe even urinating or defecating in places when you shouldn't and where you shouldn't. Like some of those behaviors that are so confounding, they do have a purpose and a reason. Like the kiddo is doing it because something in them is not at rest and they don't feel like they are in control of their world. Rebuilding that level of control and predictability does not happen overnight. And you cannot punish it into them. Punitive punishment does not fix, is not the anecdote to manipulation and control. It never has been. And I can definitively say it never will be. Now, structure, please, that's predictability. Like shared power, please. Kind, scaffolded support, please. Punitive, reactive punishment is going to drive it. It's going to elevate it. It's going to change shape. It's going to change form. It's going to get more secret. It's going to get more destructive. I don't mean to be scary. I'm just being honest. Like, meet your kids with the highest level of manipulation and control, with the highest levels of compassion and support and predictability. Up the predictability, up the support, share the power. Be flexible, be curious and playful and kind and help their little bodies, you know, go to rest. Man, I, okay, I think we can keep going all day if we wanted to, needed to on this. Um, I, I do feel like we're getting to a good place to, to hit the pause button on this on this day of talking about this. Um, guys, any last thoughts in terms of like, maybe there's people who are hearing this and they're like, amped up and they're like, and, and I can remember sitting in the ETC parent class and in the middle of the class, I'm like, oh my gosh, I just need to get home and start trying this stuff. And then about 10 o'clock that night, I'm like, screw this stuff. This doesn't even work. Like these people, <laughs> yeah, because I'm, I'm trying to start, you know, wrap, unrolling these, these different things in our house and I'm messing up on my scripts and what I'm saying. And I'm, I'm just, it's, it's fumbling through. What are some good first steps in this maybe in, um, you know, you're, you're hearing this and you've got needs for these different elements in your house. What might be a good place to start in rolling these things out? Um, I think always start with yourself. So think about your house right now today. Is there a level of predictability? If yes, that's great. If no, how can you build that in? Do your kids have an appropriate amount of control over their own selves? Do they have any opportunity to make a decision? 
if you've got a two-year-old, that's going to look different from a 22-year-old. So what's the right amount of control that they need? And have we thought about that thoughtfully? Maybe you did great with this when your kiddos were little, but you're having a real hard time with those teenager kids because they are growing and they need a little bit more control. And that's hard to let go of as a parent. So ask yourself, where am I on predictability? Where am I on control? And just like with anything, we're just trying to find that balance, find that middle ground and walk towards it however we can as a family. Um, the other thing I would say is if the words manipulation and control really like got you fired up, like you clicked on this episode because so-and-so is a manipulative child and I am just about to lose it. Like if that is your kind of, if that's how you're feeling, take a minute and like really, really dig into that actual behavior and just think through it with some of the lenses that Dr. Purvis and Michael gave us. And just think about, is there anything that you heard that could help you think about that differently and therefore maybe respond to it a little bit differently? Those would be my two starting points. Tana? Um, I I think I could circle back to sort of how Michael summarized sort of the closing of that clip. Um and he talked about like, get to the heart of the need. So get to the heart of the need. And then he said three other things, which is help them identify, articulate, and meet that need in a different kind of way. So you're wanting to be curious and really help your kiddos figure out like what's happening below them, like below, like below the surface of them. Um, and then meet the need, like meet, help the kid, like meet the child's need. Don't dismiss it. Don't ignore it. So get to the heart of the matter, identify, articulate, and meet the need. Um, if I'm thinking just practically, a lot of times I will hear philosophical ways to start. Tony, you're talking about that, like identify, meet the need, all that. And I will say, no, literally, what do I do? <laughs> Tell me the first step. I, I will tell you for us, one of the one of the best starting places, and we are working through it every day. But think through your week, um, kind of outside of the moment, think through, do we have any natural pressure points? Are there any natural, like do uh, mornings before school set us off? Are Saturday mornings rough? Sunday mornings rough? Like think of where, where your biggest pressure points are and can you can you try to, try to hit those pressure points first? Yes. So for us, weekends are always hard because there's some structure, but not a lot. And as adults, we think that's great. And that's tougher for kids, some kids to handle. And so, uh, can you make a plan for Saturday morning? Can you say eight to 12, here's our plan. And it's, it's a sticky note on the TV so that kids know, you know, before they even turn on, on the Saturday morning, or it's a Friday night conversation before bedtime, but figure out those pressure points and try to make a plan for, if you can't do the whole day, just tackle a chunk of time with your kids, try it proactively when it comes apart on that next Saturday, go, did any of it go well? Did none of it go well? What worked well out of this? Let's let's try again the next time. So that'd be my advice is pressure yeah. point, tackle that first and then go from there. Um, get, this is this is great. And y'all do feel, I mean, this is really helpful for me. And I, I, I feel pumped to parent the rest of the day. Um, and so if nothing else, thank you for that because these snow days have been- They've been long. Oh boy, yes. The wheels did fall off the bus today, by the way. They were wobbling yesterday. They, they flew off the bus today. Day three. 
We're not we were off. We were off day one. Wobbled yesterday, okay. and today we're rolling more smoothly. Oh, so. good, good. Well, I don't need another snow day to get the boys back on the bus. I need them back uh-huh. at school tomorrow. No, ma'am. Bus is going to school tomorrow. With the teacher <laughs> the teacher yeah. Thank you guys for this conversation. As always, it's just good to to step outside of the moment and think about um, just these really practical ways to support you know, things that feel as parents sometimes really overwhelming Mm -hmm. and can like seriously break down our relationship with our kids. Like, you know, manipulation and control can absolutely wreak havoc in your individual relationship with a child. Um, So just having a minute to think about how am I thinking about this idea? Mm -hmm. And then to your point, JD and Becca, take a few really practical steps to make a few slight adjustments and the watershed of that can like restore a relationship. Mm-hmm. And I don't, that's, I mean, it really and truly can. So yeah, I appreciate sure. y'all listening today. So <clears throat> just a very helpful, uh, practical video from Dr. Purvis. Um, great stuff from Michael Monroe. And I just, again, as I said in the intro, very helpful for me practically, so I hope it, I hope it will be um, for you as well. Don't forget, um, if you are interested in signing up for the online offering of Cultivate Connection, make sure that you hit our podcast. Uh, you can look at the show notes for the link, but also hit our website. Uh, don't forget the code etcpod-23 uh, to get 20% off when you do sign up for the course. Um, again, you can get details in the show notes or in our website. For everybody here at ETC, for Kyle Wright, who edits and engineers all of our audio, for Tad Jewett, the maestro behind the music of the Empowered to Connect podcast, I'm J.D. Wilson, and we'll see you next week on the Empowered to Connect podcast.